All right. Man, that's so awesome. Hey, you're probably wondering why we showed that video. The reason is, is because two weeks uh, from now, on Saturday the 27th, there's going to be an e-kids training, and, and literally it'll be an open house into how we do things at Elevate with our young people, how, uh, with the curriculum we use, and the, and the process we use to teach our children. And really, we want to involve whoever would like to be a part of children's ministry. We need help. We need help. It's important we have the whole church supporting our children. And so maybe you say, I'd like, to, I'd like to be a teacher. I'd like to help out in children's ministry. I'd like to be a part of this, uh, helping, helping young people understand that the future starts now. We don't believe our kids are the church of tomorrow. We believe they're the church of today. And uh, you say, I want to be a part of that. Listen, on the 27th, come, come right here to the sanctuary at 9 a.m., and you'll get, a, you'll get a glimpse of everything we do and how we do it. I, I promise you, you'll, you'll enjoy that. Amen. You're also being handed, out, right now, you're, you're being handed an a, a, a envelope and a small handout, and it's outlining our heart for the house. Now, if you remember last week, we announced that we're, our conference is coming. We announced our guest speaker of Russell B. Johnson is going to be joining us for our conference, You. It's all about him. You guys remember that? Well, usually at our conference, and this year will be no different, we're going to outline the vision for our church in the upcoming season. And so we not only do we, we, we um, make these announcements and declare what we're going to do as a church, we have to have a way to do that. And so every year, the week following our conference, on Sunday following our conference, we have what we call a heart for the house, big give miracle offering. And so you have a handout that kind of outlines what that is. And the reason we have this special offering is because we need to fund what God's called us to do. If we're asking God to outline for us his plan for our church and his plan for our ministry, well, there has to be a way for that to happen. And God uses his people as the solution. And so he'll place on your heart how to be a part of that with regards to finances. And so what you have is on March 17th, as we gather together on that Sunday, it's a very special Sunday. Maybe, you, maybe you're new to the church and you've never been a part of a big give offering or, or a heart for the house offering. I'm telling you, it's a very special service, one that you don't soon forget. And I, I, I can think back on many years of, of, of having this offering and our church coming together and sacrificing of their personal finances. And there's something that, that happens when we sacrifice. God shows up in our sacrifice. He, he loves our sacrifice. And so this is a once-a-year offering. It's above our, our, our tithe. It's above the offering. And it's something that everyone in our church can respond to. It's, every, it's something that everyone can participate in. Our young people t today are being given the opportunity to also participate in this Heart for the House offering because it's so important because all of us come together and we empower our mission, we empower our vision for our ministry in this next season. And so I, I want you to have that, that envelope and I want you to have that handout. It's really a prompt to help you prepare for, for bringing a sacrificial offering to the Lord. And the first thing it's instructing us to do is pray. We need to pray. If you, listen, we're not trying to get people to give out of compulsion. That's never our goal. We believe that God will place on your heart what he'd have you to do. And sometimes it'll seem impossible, and it may feel like, God, how in the world could I ever do something? Why would you ask something so large of me? Well, if God's asked you to do it, he's empowering you to do it. Are you hearing me today? But sometimes it requires a little bit of planning. And so if God puts something on your heart, you may have to plan. You may have to cut some things out of your normal budget for a time. You may have to maybe cut back on a few things for a time. Take some planning, maybe even some strategy. Maybe I need to sell off some things in order to make this work. And then we talk about it with our family. We, we involve our, our, our children. We do this together as a family. And that's what's so special about this offering is because we come together as our whole family. Our young people are in here with us and we're presenting an offering to the Lord. And on March 17th, we'll give to God together. And it's gonna be an amazing, amazing time. We wanted to give you plenty of opportunity to begin to think about that. Over the last couple years, the generosity that's flown from this church, that's grown out of this church, has been a... And I believe it's the reason that we're seeing fruitfulness. I, I believe it's the reason that we're seeing the blessing of God on our congregation. It's because of sacrifice that we've made together. And so we don't want to change that. We want to keep moving into that and go further into that. And we believe God's going to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Somebody say amen. 
Man, that was weak for a 10 o'clock. That was weak. That was, that was really weak. All right, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I'm counting on everyone to be a little bit leaning in today. All right, I'm looking for a little bit of vocalism today coming out of your mouth. I'm, I'm looking for that, amen. So we're gonna get into the word today. If you brought a tither and offering to give to God, you can give electronically or you can give by paper right there at the giving boxes out the door. There's envelopes behind your chairs. But thank you for your giving. We appreciate it. It's what God uses to further the kingdom and it keeps us afloat, amen. So, so don't stop doing that. Take care of that. Do what's right with your finances and God will do, do, do right by you. Amen. We've been in, the, in, a, in a theme this month at the beginning of this year and we've been coming hot and heavy on truth because truth matters. Truth matters. And last week we began our series and I will admit I was a little bit mis, mischievous and maybe misbehaved a little bit in that, in that sermon, um, but, but it's a, such an important thing to think about because we are living in a society that's not afraid to lie. We're living in a society that's actually controlled by lies, lies around everything, like literally everything, especially targeted at the truths that we associate with the word of God. And any lie, you need to understand this, any lie is anti-God because God is the truth. All right, did you hear that today? And as believers, we are in a spiritual battle. The Bible says that we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but we do wage war against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. That scripture is saying that we're in a battle. We are in a fight. And if we hope to win this battle, we've got to put on truth. And so last week, we, we opened up Ephesians chapter 6, which kind of outlines, Paul begins to outline the spiritual battle that we're in, and then he begins to encourage us at how we fight this battle. And he encourages us to put on the full armor of God. The first piece of that armor we talked about last week is the belt of truth. It's the belt, belt of truth. In order to win this battle, we must put on truth. And then as we began to talk about all of the other armor, we recognize is what Paul is actually asking us to do is to put on Christ. Because Christ is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so as believers in this battle that we're warring in our, in our society and culture today, we must put on Christ. We must put on truth. We're bound to the truth if we hope to win. Are you with me today? And so today, in this, in this message, I, I'm going to read just shortly out of John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can just open up and uh, uh, you can highlight something there today. But, but the context of John chapter 17 is Jesus is praying to Father God. He's, he's lifting up a prayer for his disciples and for us. So every time he's praying for his disciples, he's praying for his current disciples, yes, but he's also having in mind his disciples that would come, which would be us. And so Jesus is praying for us, and, and, and after he prays for us, what's going to happen in, in the chronological order is he's about to be betrayed, he's going to enjoy a last supper with his disciples, and then he's going to the cross. And so for 33 years, Jesus has been on a mission. For 33 years, he's been on an assignment, and at this point in John 17, it's reaching its apex. It's, it's getting to that culmination point where everything that he's come to do is about to be realized. Are you tracking with me today? So now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I've been there, so I've seen what this is and, and where it's located. And I can picture Jesus praying, and he'd be looking over the entire city of Jerusalem. It's a picture of his people. He's looking and he's praying over them. And in verse 14, he says, I've given them your word and the world hates them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Now Jesus is praying for you. I want you to understand this. Personalize this prayer. He's praying for you and he's asking God to keep you. He's asking God to protect you. Are you following me today? He's saying, I want you to protect them. Protect my followers. Protect my disciples because they're not of the world. They're in the world, but they're not of the world just like I am not of the world. So in saying this, we gotta think about it a little bit. In saying this, Jesus was acknowledging that there's a spirit in the world. Did you hear that? He is praying, he's saying, you're not of the world. 
he's acknowledging by saying that, that there's a spirit in this world that has its values, that has its thought processes, that has its paradigms, that has its philosophies and ideologies. And so what Jesus is praying is that his people don't become adept to the structures that are in this world. Are you hearing that today? He's, he's praying that we're protected from the spirit of this world, which is opposite to the spirit of God, the family of God, all right? And, and, and in saying this, he, he's saying you gotta, you, you gotta know the difference. You gotta understand that it's there because if the way that you think is identical to the rest of the world, that's a red flag. If you're echoing the same things that the world is saying, then something is wrong inside of your heart and you're missing it. You're missing it, all right? In verse 16, he continues in his prayer. He says, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. And so he says, God, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that also they may be sanctified by the truth. And so Jesus' prayer is that you and I, his people, would be able to overcome the spirit of this world. And how would we do that? Jesus says, sanctify them or, or set them apart. Make them different. How? By the truth. What separates us from the world is not how we dress. It's not what we do on Sundays. What separates us from the world is not because we own a Bible or because we have an Elevate sticker on our car. That's not what separates us. What separates us from the rest of the world is the truth. It's what unifies us, what brings us together. And today, truth is greater than facts. That's what I want you to know. The world is living by facts. They're living by facts. But let me tell you something. When truth and facts collide, truth always comes out on top. Truth always prevails. And this morning, let me warn you that in this message, truth and facts are on a collision course. All right? That's what's happening today. So we're going to have a little fun with that. Is that all right? Truth is always greater than facts. Now, four or five years ago, we were introduced to this somewhat new phenomenon of a thing called fact checkers. Fact checkers. And so several of us have had our Instagrams and our Facebooks and our Twitter accounts. We've had them throttled back. We've, we've been denied access a few times because of violations according to the fact checkers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't had your account throttled back or anything like that, but, but maybe you've seen posts where all of a sudden there'll be something that will pop over the, that post. It'll be like a pop-up, and it will say that this post has been fact-checked and has been proven false. How many have seen that? How many have seen that? Come on, guys, help me out today. How many have seen that? Or maybe you just open another one, and it will say that this page has repeatedly shared false information. How many have seen something like that? Or maybe another one will pop up and say false information, checked by independent fact checkers. Now, I don't know if you've realized this. It may be just me, all right? It may be just me, but it seems like most of the things that the fact checkers determined to be false Actually, upon further review, those, those things that were fact-checked to be false were actually proven to be true. Has anybody noticed that besides me, all right? Like, like when someone posted about the origin of the COVID-19 virus. You know, when someone would just say simply that this virus originated from a lab in Wuhan, China. What, would, what you would see immediately is that that pop-up window would say that this information is false. It's been checked by independent fact checkers. But now, all of a sudden, surprisingly, we do know that factually and actually that COVID-19 virus did come 
from a little lab in Wuhan, China. Or, or maybe when Dr. Fauci got on the television and said it's scientifically proven that you must, must, must have six feet of social distancing in order to not spread this virus. And so we had little lines and tape where you had to stand six feet. They told us in church we had to put the chairs six feet apart. Can you imagine that? They, 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 they put circles in parks. They painted circles in parks so that you could stay in that and you could keep that six feet of social distancing. And if you disagreed with that, if your common sense brain says that doesn't work and you just simply disagreed with it, you, you would have been come for by the fact checkers. And they would have said that science tells us that you are protected with six feet of social distance. But turns out this week, all of a sudden, Dr. Fauci said that the whole six feet of social distancing just sort of appeared. Are you serious? Like, think about that for a second. Think of all the things you did with six feet of social distancing, and it just, you thought it was the science. You thought it was fact, but it was really, it was really just sort of appeared. And then you have Hunter Biden's laptop. You know, Hunter Biden's, if anybody posted about Hunter Biden's laptop, it was fact-checked false, and it was said, no, that's not, that's not really Hunter Biden's laptop. That is Russian disinformation. <laughs> anybody hear that before? That's just Russian disinformation. Actually, it wasn't Russian disinformation. It was actually, indeed, now we know, Hunter Biden's laptop, all right? What about the crisis at the border? Yeah, you don't want me to go there. I can tell. Some people are upset right now. You don't want me to go there, do you? Is he really going there? Yes, I'm going there. Because anytime you say there's a crisis at the border, the fact checkers say false. There is no crisis at the border, but actually two and a half million people crossed illegally into our country in 2023. So let's just kind of compare and see what the difference is. In 2020, there was 4,600 pounds of fentanyl seized at the border. But in 2023, that, that skyrocketed to 27,000 pounds seized at the border. That's a 480% increase. Sounds like a crisis to me. I mean, that's just what they seized. And hundreds of, the, hundreds of these people that have crossed into the U.S. are known terrorists on the terrorist watch list. Guys, there's a crisis. All right. I'm still going to get into God's word today, so don't worry about it, all right? Here's the truth. Facebook was actually taken to court over their fact checkers. They were actually taken to court, and they testified that the fact checkers were actually not fact checker checkers. They were only opinion givers. They were just opinion givers. And the reason they called them opinion givers is because you can't sue somebody over their opinion. And so basically these fact checkers were really weighing in on their opinion with all of these issues. And it's interesting that all of their opinions seem to line up and say the same thing. And so the question we gotta ask ourselves is what is the obsession with fact checking? What has, what, has, what has made this such a, a major part of our society where we're fact-checking COVID-19 and fact-checking election outcomes and fact-checking vac vaccinations and climate change and police brutality? I want to say something. Whenever you see a rise in the world of fact-checkers, it really has nothing to do with protecting the truth. Actually, actually the reason there's a, there's a rise in fact-checkers and the reason the world is so obsessed with facts is because they've rejected the truth so these really aren't fact checkers let me tell you what they are they're liars and they're violating the facts and the reason they're doing that is because they hate the truth I, I promise I'm not gonna be as mischievous this week as I was last week so here's the thing I've decided to call our church to something a little bit different I think we're meant to be, do something a little bit different. We're not called to be fact checkers. We're meant to be fact wreckers. Did you hear that? 
not fact checkers, fact wreckers. And, and the greatest commission that I could give you today is be a truth checker and a fact wrecker. Somebody say amen. And the reason I say that is because Jesus said that my word is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. God is the God of truth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It's the spirit of all truth. Jesus said the devil is a liar. He's the father of all lies. But you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so wherever you see lies prevailing, wherever you see, and the lies I just outlined by the fact checkers, they're actually liars. But wherever you see those lies prevail, you see bondage, you see devastation, and you see destruction every single time. But when truth prevails, what do you see? You see freedom, you see breakthrough, and you see healing. You see healing. So the war in this world is a war for truth. And the reason we saw a rise in fact checkers is because fact checkers are anti-truth. And so you may be thinking today, well, well hang on a second. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Adam. I, I thought the facts and the truth go together. Like, like what, wait, what do you mean by that? I'm here to say not always. Not always. And so we're going to have a little fun this morning because the truth is greater than facts. Are you ready? First thing you need to, need to understand is facts always bow to truth. So Jesus' first miracle. Jesus' first miracle is he turned water into wine. Most of you would recognize this story, that they're at a wedding feast, and, and somehow Jesus' mom ha is responsible for part of it, or she feels responsible, and they run out of wine in the middle of this feast. So it had been embarrassing for the family. And so Mary runs up to Jesus and says, and says Jesus, they've run out of wine. She knows her son has got some power in him, and so she's trying to jumpstart his ministry career. And so Jesus responds to her and says, and says, woman, my time has not yet come. And Jesus' mama gets a little upset and says, you're going to call me mama in front of all your friends? Well, then you're going to get started work right this moment. You think that's how it's going to go down? I want you to get busy and take this water and produce some wine. And so, and so Jesus calls the servants, and he, he calls them over, and he tells them, These, there's six water pots filled with water, and I want you to take some of that water and give it to the master of the feast. And so these guys go over to the water pots, they scoop out some water, and they begin to march over to the master of the feast. And when the master takes a sip from the glass, it wasn't actually water, but it had transformed into the finest wine. And we know it's the finest wine because he says normally they would say, they, they would use the best wine first. And then when everybody's drunk and can't tell the difference, they bring out the cheap stuff. But not you. You've saved the best for last. And so now you've got six water pots filled with the finest wine. Now here's the truth. If you would have taken that water that, those, that Jesus asked those servants to, 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 to scoop out of, if you would have put that same water under a microscope, what, what you would have found is two hydrogen molecules and one oxygen molecule. And I know that sounds extremely scientific, but what that produces is H2O. And H2O, if you didn't know, is water, okay? So somewhere be, in between taking this water from the wash pot and then the sipping of the substance by the master of the feast, this H2O, this water, had transformed into wine. The fact was, it was water. Are you tracking with me today? The fact was, it was H2O. These were the facts. But the facts collided with the truth in Jesus. And understand, the truth is always greater than the facts. The facts always bow their knee to the truth. And when the facts collide with the truth, truth always comes out on top. Are you following me this morning? So the truth is in the Word of God. And we read earlier as Jesus is praying for us, he says, I want you to sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And so anytime facts collide with the truth of God's word, the truth always comes out on top. Are you hearing that? Always prevails. So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples and he says to them, he says, let's cross over to the other side. And what they were attempting to do was cross over the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. 
I've seen, I actually paddleboarded on this lake. It's a giant lake that honestly, it looks like an ocean. It's so vast. And so, and so he says, we're going to go to the other side of this lake. All right? And, and, and so, so they get into a boat, and they're beginning to set sail across Galilee. Now what you need to recognize, as the men that were in charge of this boat were expert sailors. They, were, they, they, had, they had been on the sea. They were fishermen. They were, they were used to the different things that the sea could do. It's unpredictable. But the Bible says that as they, as they were sailing across the other side, a great windstorm arose. And, and all of a sudden, the waves began to beat into the boat and fill the boat with water. And, and, and it says, but Jesus was in the stern, and he's asleep on a pillow. He's sleeping. Now, remember, these guys are experienced. And so they're not trying to bother Jesus. They think they can do it themselves, all right? And so what are they doing? They're bailing water. So I want you to picture this. Water's coming in, waves coming in, and these guys got buckets, and they're bailing in water as fast as they can. The problem is, is there's more water getting into the boat than they're able to bail. And so as a result, the ship, their boat, begins to sink. And so they have no other option than to wake up some more help. All right, and so, and, and so, and so they, 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 they said to Jesus, they, they went down into the stern and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Like, dude, get up and help. That's what they're saying. And so their intention was to wake Jesus up and hand him a bucket. That's what they were going to do. They're going to give Jesus a bucket, and they're thinking, well, maybe if we have another guy, if we got a little more help, we, we can bail enough water to keep us afloat. Their ex expectation was to live under that circumstance. Their expectation was to have to deal with that storm, that they were going to have to endure this storm, and they're going to have to live under the weather. You've heard that term before, haven't you? Under the weather, under the circumstances. But there's something about the truth. You don't have to live under the weather. And you don't have to live under the circumstances. And so Jesus, I believe, he intentionally went to sleep. And truthfully, I don't think he did go to sleep. I think he told him, let's go to the other side. And then he went down in the stern, laid on his back. I think he had a little smirk on his face because he knew what was going to happen. And he just laid down there and he didn't do anything. And I believe it wasn't an accident. It was intentional. Because Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, and in doing so, teach us that in the storms of life that we all go through, in the crazy, the times where we're panicking, the times when we're exasperated, the times when we're out of energy, in the financial crisis, are you hearing me today? In the health diagnosis, in the family turmoil, in the career chaos, in an economy that's, that, that's wrecked. Whatever's going on, whatever storm that maybe you're going through in your life, Jesus wants you to know the truth is right there. The truth is right there with you. Jesus, the word of God, the truth is right there with you. And the question is, have you awoken the truth? Have you awoken the, the word of God? Because there's power accessible to you in the word of God. Because the word of God is greater than any storm that this world can throw at you. Somebody say amen. It's greater than the circumstances of your life. You see, the facts were, is that they were, they were in a massive storm. And the fact was, there was wind and there was waves crashing into the boat. And the fact was, the boat was taking on water and beginning to sink. The fact was, these men's lives were in danger, and chances are they were going to drown. Those were the facts. But Jesus went to sleep. And he's trying to teach you and I something, that if we would just awaken the word of God in our lives, and if we would just engage with the truth, that truth gives you power over the facts. The facts want you to live under that storm. The facts want to wear you out. They want to get you under the weather and under the circumstance. But when you introduce truth to the facts, truth gives you power over the facts. Ugh. Every time you introduce facts to the truth, facts always bow their knee to the truth of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is truth. Truth always prevails. It always overcomes. It always rises to the surface. God is truth. And when we read the end of the book, God prevails. So the greatest thing that you, could add, that you and I could add to our lives is the truth of God. Awaken the truth into your circumstance. Somebody say amen today. Praise the Lord. All right, second thing is the facts are temporal. Truth is eternal. 
Romans 5.12 says this. Look at it. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death has spread to all men because all men sinned. Let me just tell you what that scripture says. It says that sin came through Adam. Because of Adam, Adam sinned. Sin came, and, and because of sin, death came. And because all of us have sinned, all of us die. So one of the facts of life is everyone dies. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's, that's one of the facts of life. One of the facts of life is death. And so there's a dilemma facing God because, because of sin that's in this world and it's causing death, what does God do about it? Well, God comes down, he hangs on a cross, and the reason he does it is not only to atone for our sin, but he actually took on death. He took on death. Here's the truth, death is a fact. Death was a fact, and Jesus is like, I don't really like this fact. Death is a fact, Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm not, into, the, I'm not into this fact, so I'm gonna introduce this fact of death to myself. So Jesus died on a Friday and then rose again on a Sunday. And in doing so, he conquered death, he conquered hell, and conquered the grave. So not only did Jesus atone for your sin, not only did he atone for my sin, he tore a hole in death. Are you hearing me today? And now death, because of what Jesus did, death has no sting, it doesn't have any power, it doesn't have victory, because all who receive Jesus Christ have eternal life. Facts are temporal, the truth is eternal. So now death is simply just a veil. It's, it's, a, it's a door that you and I eventually will pass through. And what we're gonna pass through is into everlasting life where there is no more death, and there is no more pain, and there is no more sickness, and there is no more disease, and there are no more tears. Truth and facts collided and truth prevailed. Are you hearing me today? Facts are temporal, truth is eternal. I, I'm, I know this. I know this to be true. When we came here to Southern California, we came from Kingman, Arizona. Some of you don't even know where that is. Don't visit it, all right? My mom always gets upset when I do this. Mom, I loved Kingman. Anyways, let's move on. We moved, to Kingman, we moved from Kingman, Arizona to Southern California. It's a major cultural difference. It's totally different. But we came here to start a church, and we didn't have a team. We didn't have anybody sign up and say, we'll, we'll join you. We, we, we had nothing. It was my dad, my mom, and myself. It was a three-member church, and we were going to change the world for Jesus. And here's the thing. Everyone told us what we couldn't do. It didn't matter if it was the bank. My pastor Carl opened up a bank account for our church, and the banker says, well, how many people you have? He goes, two. My, my wife and my son. You know, and it's a, uh, you know, the banker's like, well, you know, it's, yeah, that doesn't sound like a church. Everybody's telling us all the things that, that we couldn't do, that startup churches don't make it in Southern California. There's plenty of churches around here. There's plenty of buildings for churches. And, 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 and here's the truth. In Southern California, there's no zoning for churches. It's hard to get a, get a building. It's hard to obtain a building to actually house a church because you gotta get, you gotta get all, all the permits and all of these types of things. And, and the trouble is you have no money. And so if you don't have any money, how in the world are you gonna get a building and pay for those permits in the first place? And even if you are to find a building, there's going, to be, there's going to be a line of churches ahead of you trying to obtain it. Everyone was telling us the facts. And we're using the facts to tell us what we couldn't do. The problem is this. All they had was the facts. What we had was different. We didn't just have the facts. We didn't come here to live under the weather or under the circumstance or under the facts. We came here to present the truth to the facts. We're gonna introduce the word, we're gonna introduce the truth to the facts, because when facts meet truth, truth, facts, facts, truth, oh hi, hi. When facts meet truth, truth always wins, because the truth says that everywhere the sole of your feet shall tread, I've given you the land. The truth says, I will give you whatever you believe me for. The truth says, ask anything in my name, and if you believe what you ask for, you shall receive it. That's the truth. And so people say, well, but you, you, you don't understand the economy. I don't care. Oh, but but you, don't, you don't understand what the doctor said. I don't care. Well, but you don't understand what, what other pastors are saying. I don't care what they're saying. 
I don't care what other churches say. I don't care what anyone else says. All I care about is what does the word of God say? Why would I listen to anybody spew their facts? Why would I even come into agreement with the facts when I can overcome the facts with the truth of the word of God? Amen. So whatever you're walking through today, don't live under it. Don't live under it. Introduce the facts of your situation to the truth of God's word. And here's the truth. The facts may look bleak. The facts may say it's impossible. The facts may say it can't be done. The experts said, here's the facts. The experts say, we fact-checked the facts, and the facts are, in fact, fact. But I don't like the facts. Anybody like that in here today? I don't like the facts. And here's the truth, if God's word has spoken it, and if the word has promised it, surely the word of God prevails over the facts. Surely our God is greater than the facts. You know, Jesus walked on water. I don't know if you know this, but factually, that's impossible. Like a human being, and I know all of you have tried it, cannot stand on a liquid. That's a fact. You cannot walk on a liquid. But Bible says that Jesus came walking towards his disciples on the sea. And Jesus did that. He walked on water to show us you don't have to live according to the facts. This is what he was proving to us. The facts don't have to overtake you. The facts don't have to overcome you. You don't have to live under the facts. You don't have to allow the facts to overwhelm you. Truth always walks on top of facts. Truth always resides above the facts. And so here's the disciples. They're in the boat. They're seeing Jesus walk on water. They think he's a ghost. They're freaking out, all right, like you and I both, all of us would. And, and Jesus like, guys, I'm not a ghost. It's, it's me. It's Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm right here. And, and so Peter is like, if it's really you, command me to come. And Jesus just sends a word. He says, come. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. I don't know, just imagine, he's walking on water, and all of a sudden his brain catches up to his reality. And all of a sudden he goes, humans can't walk on water. And as soon as he thought that, he began to sink. And so Jesus reaches out his hand and said, Peter, why did you doubt? Are you following me today? Why, why did you doubt? Peter learned something that day that the devil doesn't want you to know. And, 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 and it's this, that you don't have to live according to the facts. But instead, you can live according to the truth. Because when truth and facts collide, truth always prevails. And so the greatest thing that you could do in your life and in your circumstance is introduce truth into the equation and refuse to live under what God's called you to live over. So the, the facts will always bring you a laundry list. The facts will always present a laundry list of things that you can't do. Let's say things like you'll never be able to afford a home here in Orange County. That and a bunch of other lies. We know it's false. We know that's false. But, but, the, but the devil will present all of these facts and say you won't be able, be able to do this. And you'll never be able to do that. And so what I say to that is, oh yeah? Well, let's see what the truth says about that. I know what the facts say, so let's introduce some truth to that because facts aren't final. Facts aren't final. There's another story in the Bible where a ruler of the synagogue, a man by the name of Jairus, comes to Jesus, and most of us would be aware of this story. And he comes to Jesus and he says, he says, he says my little daughter is, is, is sick. She's to the point of death. And he, and he says, Jesus, will you please come lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And Jesus says to him, hey, no problem, let's go. And so he and Jairus begin to walk towards where this girl is lying. And on the way, they get, they get stopped and interrupted by a woman who's been suffering from, from hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years. And this woman reaches towards the hem of Jesus' garment, and so Jesus stops in his tracks, and he says, who touched me? By this time, there's, there's hundreds of people all around Jesus, so the disciples are like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. That's the dumbest, that's the dumbest question you've ever asked. Like, 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 what do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus said, no, I felt power leave me. I felt power leave me. 
Let me, let me tell you something. The truth has power. The truth has power. So when this woman grabbed a hold of the truth, the Bible says power entered her. Power went into her body. She said, if only I may touch his clothes, I'll be made well. What she was saying is this, if only I could touch the truth, if only I could connect to the truth, only if I could engage with the truth, because the facts are, I've been bleeding for 12 years. The facts are, I'm anemic. I've spent everything I've, I have to find a cure. The facts are that the doctors have told me that there is no cure. These are the facts but Jesus is the truth. And when the facts of her life came in contact with the truth of Jesus Christ, power entered her body. Why? Because truth is greater than facts. So no sooner does this happen, this amazing miracle, no sooner does this happen than someone comes and shows up in this, in, in this, in this scene, and, and, and it's a servant from Jairus' house. And so, so the Bible says that, that this the servant comes up and says, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And then Jesus looks directly at Jairus. This is amazing. And he says to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. You see, the fact was she died. And the fact is her heart stopped beating. And the fact is she breathed her last breath. And the fact is, she passed away. Now here's the thing, and something we all can, can relate to. Because facts have a way of causing us to fear. When we start to pay attention to the facts that are going on around us all the time, when we're listening to all the facts, the only thing that produces in your life is fear. And that's why Jesus turned to Jairus and said, hey, do not be afraid, Jairus. Only believe. You see, facts will cause you to fear, but when you keep your eyes on the truth, it'll bring you faith. Facts aren't final. He says, only, Jairus, only believe and you will see. You remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. He's a personal friend of Jesus, and for four days, this man's been dead. So Jesus finally arrives at the home of Lazarus' family, and Lazarus' sister Martha comes out and says to Jesus, Jesus, if you just would have been here, Lazarus, my brother, would not have died. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, don't worry about it. Your brother's going to rise again. He speaks truth into the situation. He says, your brother's going to rise again. And, she, and she's like, I know, I know. I know one day we'll all be in heaven. We're all going to rise again. I get it, Jesus. I've heard that stuff before. And then Jesus cuts her off and he says, no, no, no. You don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. So he's speaking truth to the facts. He's saying, he's saying I, don't, I know they said he's dead for four days, but it, it is what I say. It is what I say. But I want you to notice something in verse 37. That the Bible says that some of the men around the town... They began to ask this question, began to murmur this question. Could not this man Jesus, who's opened the eyes of the blind, also could have kept this guy from dying? Like if he would have been here, this guy would never have died in the first place. And so all of a sudden, I think Jesus is probably thinking, who voted and made me the preventionist? Think about this story with me for a second. He's thinking, who made me a preventionist? This is the thinking of most people today. Most people today want God to be a preventionist. Are you following along with me today? We think, well, if we give our life to God and go to church and pay our tithe and, and do the right thing, then God's going to prevent bad things from happening to us. Listen, God's not a preventionist. That's, that's not what he's doing. He's not a preventionist. He's a resurrectionist. Okay? And so the reason he's not a preventionist is because he's given you and he's given me free will. He's given man free will. And because of free will, Evil men will do evil things. Because of free will, sinful men will do sinful things. Because of free will, stupid men can still do stupid things. And so because of stupid men, evil men, and sinful men, bad things happen even to good people. That's what's going on in our world today. However, we don't have to live under the facts that these stupid, evil, sinful people present. 
We don't have to live under the facts that these stupid, evil, sinful people produce. We don't have to live under that because Jesus is not a preventionist, he's a resurrectionist. And he says in verse 40, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you should also see? So let's get the facts straight. Let's get the facts straight. Because there's a lot of facts you guys are dealing with. Everyone in this world has been dealt a series of facts. And maybe the fact is that you've come, come from four generations of welfare and poverty. Maybe the facts are today in your life that you've come through generations of divorce and separation of family. Maybe the fact is you've come from a long line of addiction and abuse. Those could be the facts of your life. But listen, Jesus doesn't, doesn't obey the facts. He doesn't live according to the facts. He looked into the tomb of a man that's been dead factually for four days, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And people are like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, if we roll away the stone, the fact is, a body that's been decomposing for four days, it's going to stink. The fact is, Jesus, that's, that, 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 that's embarrassing for the family. God, the fact is, there's a decomposing stench from a decomposing body that's going to come out of that tomb. But instead, it was Lazarus, not a decomposing body, but an alive body in the flesh came walking out of that grave. Why? Because whenever truth collides with facts, truth always wins because truth is greater than facts. We don't have to live under the, circum under the facts. We don't have to live under the circumstances is under the weather facts aren't final truth is eternal back to the story of Jairus daughter and I'm gonna I'm gonna land the plane here I need you to really focus here so Jesus it's important stuff right here so Jesus comes to the home of this this ruler of the synagogue Jairus he comes to the home of this 12 year old little girl that has died and surrounding the house is all of this commotion you got family members and people, friends, people in the community. And there's all sorts of wailing going on. There's all sorts of crying. There's all sorts of commotion. And the Bible says that Jesus steps into this scene and he's like, what's going on? Why, why, why weep? Why are you making all of this commotion? And then he speaks truth. He says this. He says, the child isn't dead. She's asleep. It's the truth. Jesus is presenting truth. Are you with me today? The truth he presents is this little girl is not dead, she's sleeping. And I want you to notice right here in verse 40, the response to truth. The Bible says they ridiculed him. Think about that for a minute. The Bible says they ridiculed him and mocked him with scorn. And so, and so here's Jesus. All he's doing in this situation is he's presenting the truth to facts. And because he presented the truth, he faced ridicule and scorn. And so if Jesus presented truth and faced ridicule and scorn, we should expect to face the same thing when we present truth. So last week I shared a proverb with you. And the proverb said this, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Do you remember that? Buy the truth. Notice that it doesn't say attain the truth. It doesn't say believe the truth. It doesn't say um, get the truth. It, it instructs us as people of God to buy the truth. And the reason we're told to buy the truth is because truth comes with a price tag. Did you hear that today? Truth comes with a price tag. There's a quote I came across that says this, truth is seen as hate to those who hate the truth. And so when you hear people going off about hate speech, the reason they're doing that is because they're directing that comment, hate speech, towards the truth. I'll prove it to you. We have a woman that was elected into the Supreme Court, the most recent, recent um, judge elected to the Supreme Court. And her job and the role of the judges on the Supreme Court is to judge according to the facts, okay? And so one of the questions posed to her in questioning her before she was, she was um, given this role is one of the questions that came to her is, can you identify what a woman is? Seems like a pretty common, easy question. Like, 
It doesn't seem like it'd be that hard, but here's this woman who's one of the smartest people on the planet, supposedly, and her answer was, no, I can't define what a woman is because I'm not a biologist. Okay. And so you mean to tell me you sit in the highest court of the land? You've gone to to the greatest universities, but a one-year-old can tell me what a woman is, and you can't. To biologically, scientifically, and realistically state what a woman is. And the reason she refused to answer that question is because if she said what a woman is, it would be deemed hate speech. And the truth is, it's not hate speech. It's truth. It's just, it's just truth. And those who hate the truth see the truth as hate speech. And so here's what you need to grab a hold of. If they ridiculed and scorned Jesus for simply presenting the truth, we can expect nothing less. Nothing less. He, Jesus actually said, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. You're going to be persecuted for the truth. And so my encouragement to you today is buy the truth. There's a, there's a price to the truth, and every one of us in this place should be willing to pay the price for truth. So I've decided, all right? Hear me out. I've decided to put up with the persecution. I've decided to purchase the truth, and I recognize that, that with the truth is going to come some ridicule, ridicule, and it's going to come with some scorn. It's going to come with ridicule toward myself. It's going to come with ridicule towards this church. But as for me, I, and as for Elevate Ministries, we're willing to pay the price for truth. Buy the truth. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you something. And, and then what it says is, it says don't sell it. It says don't sell it. You see what we saw a lot of churches do when we look back to 2020 is they knew the truth, but then when, when it got tough, they sold it. They backed away from the truth. How many recognize that to be? That's why so many churches closed down and, and so many people have left the church because the church backed away from truth just to keep the peace They backed away from truth just to keep people happy. Listen, but when you back away from the truth, truth is power. When you connect to truth, you have power. But when you back away from truth, you back away from the power. And the reason we as a church refuse to back away from the truth is because we know that we need power. That people are coming here to, to, they're coming here to needing God to do something that requires power. But if you move away from the truth, you're actually moving away from his power because his power is in the truth. And so you can see this when Jesus taught the parable of the sower. He was talking about sowing seeds, and the seeds are the word of God. And in the first illustration, he says that some of the seeds fell by the wayside. And, and then he, he said what that meant. It meant that they heard the, the word, but they didn't understand it. So some seeds fell by the wayside, and then, the, and then Jesus goes on and he adds to that story and says, so the birds came and ate it up. So I began to think about that a little bit. And the question is, is, if the word was sown by the wayside and it's people that didn't understand the word, they didn't get it, why would the devil need to come snatch it up? They didn't get it anyways. Like, what's the big deal? Why, Why does the devil need to snatch it up? I'll tell you why. Because the devil knows that if he leaves that seed there, there's power in it. Did you hear that? There's power in that seed. That seed, it may have fallen by the wayside, but there's still power in that seed. There's still transforming power in that seed. So Satan's always trying to gobble up the truth. He's trying to remove it at all costs. Back to our story. Jesus gets to Jairus' house. He puts everybody outside. He takes the mother. He takes Jairus. And they go up to where the child lay. And the Bible says in verse 41 that he took the child by the hand and says, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, arise. I love that statement because when Carrie was battling cancer, she was given a sign that said, Talitha kum, I say to you, arise. It, it always, it, 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 the scripture always has meaning to me because it's a decision that, 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 that Carrie made to stand for truth, believing that this ends in healing. So when Jesus said, think back to what he said, this girl is not dead, she's sleeping. 
Everyone who heard that statement that day would have been blown away by it. The scientists that were there, the experts that would have been there, the doctors that would have been there, the fact checkers present, they would have all fact checked Jesus' statement as false. But what a surprise it would have been for them that when Jesus walked out of that door holding the hand of that little girl alive. See, the fact was she was dead. But the truth is, she is alive. I want you just to listen to that. The fact is, she was dead. But the truth is, she is alive. Let me tell you what the fact is. The fact is that all of us are dead. Without Christ, we're dead. We're walking dead. We may, have, we may, may look alive, we may still be breathing. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You have no choice. There's, there's nothing you can do about it because we all were born sinners. It's not something we chose. It's something we inherited. A sinful nature. No one had to teach you to lie. No one had to teach you to steal. No one had to teach you to do all the crazy, stupid, evil, sinful things that you've done. You, 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 you figured that out all on your own. And the reason is because that's a nature inside of you. And so the fact is, because of that sin, you're separated from God because God is perfect and you're not. And that fact didn't jive with a holy God because you're his creation and he loves you. And so because of the fact that death, because of your sin, because of the fact that your sin causes death, God sent his son Jesus into this world. And Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and then died on a cross. And when he did that, not only did, did he defeat your sin, not only did he give you righteousness, but as I said earlier, he tore a hole in death. He stole death. Where death is so final and seems so, so, the finality of it seems so excruciating. But because of what Jesus did, did death has no sting. It does not have victory. Because death is simply a veil that you and I walk into eternity. Facts aren't final. The truth is truth is eternal so maybe you're here today and you're living with the facts of a life you've created by your sin and you've seen that in so many areas your life is you're struggling you're trying to make it you're trying to keep up but you find no matter how hard how hard you try it, it destruction and, and a mess and failure and ah can't seem to get ahead let me tell you what you're missing you're missing the truth you're like the disciples, bailing water, just trying, to, just trying to stay afloat. But what you're missing is the truth, and today's an opportunity for you to wake, awaken truth in your life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe today you're here. Today's a day where you say, you know what? I, I, I'm going to introduce the facts of my life to the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Your life will never be the same. All of a sudden, the power of God will fill you. His spirit will indwell you. You'll have the ability to overcome anything this world throws at you. You'll be walking on it just like Jesus was walking on water. So maybe you're here today and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to, I want to give my life to the truth. If that's you all over this room, would you raise your hand? All over? I'd love to pray with you today. Is there anyone at all over this room? Side to side and front to back, you'd say, I want to give my life to the truth. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Front to back, side to side. Amen. I believe everyone is saved here. Everyone, everyone has been introduced to the truth. But here's something that you need to hear. I know this to be true because I live in the same world you do. And this world has a way of presenting a chaos whirlwind of facts. And those produce fear in our lives. And we can watch the news and we can scroll our social medias and we can get inundated with all of the facts and all of the things that are happening. And immediately, just like Jairus, fear rises up on the inside. But Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. And so what we have to do as the people of God is we have to redirect our focus off of the facts and onto the truth. And I know that sometimes that's difficult to do. And I recognize that some people right now, the facts are screaming at you. 
in your current situation, but I'm encouraging you today. Scream right back the truth found in God's word. Scream right back the truth of God's word because if you can grab a hold of the truth like the woman with the issue of blood, if you can engage with the truth, connect to the truth, you're gonna have power over the facts. If you believe that in this room, come on, if you say, I, I, I believe that, and today I'm gonna grab, just like that woman did, I'm grabbing a hold of Jesus, I'm grabbing a hold of the truth, if that's you, come on, stand your feet all over this room. Come on, stand up all over this room. Thank you, Jesus. Lift your hands as if you're actually doing it, as if you're actually actually doing. Come on, begin to cry out to God. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're the truth. God, I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to live according to the facts. I thank you today, Lord God, that because of you, I can walk over them, God. I don't have to be under the circumstance or under the weather, but I can rise above. I can live above, Lord, what, what, what the facts try to place me under. Come on, would you say that today? God, I'm looking at the truth. I'm, I'm shouting the truth. I'm engaging with the truth, God, of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. If you believe that, if you mean that, shout amen and give the Lord a big round of applause in this place. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you because you're more than able. Sing it. You are more than That's the truth right there. Come on. Declare it. That's the truth. Declare it. You are more. You are more Would you lift your hands today? Oh, honor God, we love you, Jesus. You're the truth, God. You are more than able. So who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Can you imagine? Follow the faith in the room, what the Lord can do. Come on, somebody, what the Lord can do. It's going to happen. Sing it over your life. He's gonna move. Can you imagine? We follow the faith in the room. What the Lord can do. What the Lord can do. And it's gonna happen. It's just in the way they get through. He's gonna move. Come on, sing it. He's gonna real quick because I forgot to do this and I think it's important I mentioned earlier we read about Asher and then we dedicated Asher it's amazing how the Bible the Bible reading plan coincides with what's going on in our church and in this world it's amazing but today our psalm I want to read it with you it's so good it says this in Psalm it's in Psalm 12 it says help O Lord for the godly are fast disappearing the faithful have vanished from the earth Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. So may the Lord cut off those flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. And they say, we will lie until our heart's content. Our lips are our own, 
Who can stop us? But the Lord replies, I've seen violence done to the helpless, and I've heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them, as they've longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in the furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, the Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them for forever from this lying generation. And even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land, we believe that God's going to protect us. Like we said this morning, that's his prayer for us. Lord, set them apart. How? Set them apart. Save them. Protect them from the lies. How? Through the truth. In today's Bible reading plan, so amazing, so amazing. Go your way. Have a great week. God bless you guys. Start a new series on Wednesday. Don't miss it. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.